I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. We're going to be looking at the passage related to the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, as John records it here. I'd like to read this passage of Scripture for us. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! And Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him, and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And the crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we have come because we want to know more about you and about your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I pray that you would open our eyes to see and understand things perhaps about this text that we have never noticed before. 
but that draw us closer to you into a stronger relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We ask it in his name. Amen. There is a pulpit in a small church in Stony Brook, Long Island. And this pulpit has a message on it. It's a message that only the preacher can see as he enters the pulpit. And engraved on the top of the pulpit are these words, Sir, we would see Jesus. I like that. That's a good word for those who speak, who have the privilege of being able to minister God's Word. It's a reminder to us that you come not to see, say, Pastor Dan or the worship team lead us in worship. And it's not that you have come to see or hear me, but you come because we want to see Jesus. And we want to know more about Him and love Him more and understand the things that He's done for our life. And that's especially true on a week such as this, when we think of these significant events that led to the cross and Jesus suffering and dying for each one of us. We would see Jesus this morning. There have been many kings and rulers in the history of the world. There have been mighty kings like Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, or Charlemagne. And there have been good kings like David and Hezekiah and Josiah. And there were wicked kings like Ahab and Jeroboam and Manasseh. But the question I'd like us to think about this morning is, what kind of a king is Jesus? You see, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the crowds were ready to crown Him as King. They hailed Him as the King. There were many who thought that He was the Messiah, and they had certain hopes and dreams tied up with that. They thought it would be the end of Rome's power, and Israel would be restored to a place of prominence. And they didn't know how Jesus was going to do it, but that's what they thought was going to happen. And so they were ready to crown Him the King. But what kind of king is Jesus? And what would He do as He came into Jerusalem that day? Well, as John describes it here, he tells us that Jesus is a powerful yet humble king. We see that in the descriptions that are given here. But we can think also of the larger picture in Scripture where Jesus is called both the Lion and the Lamb. He's the Lion of Judah, the one whose right it is to rule. He is the heir. He's the one who deserves to be crowned King and Lord of all. And yet Scripture uses this other metaphor of Jesus as the Lamb of God, the suffering servant, the one who would take upon Himself our sins and die as a substitute in our place. They are two very appropriate metaphors for Jesus' life and ministry and person. And on the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, no one would have thought that He was a powerful king by the world's definition of power. I mean, when Jesus came into Jerusalem that day, there was no army of soldiers all dressed for battle following behind Him. There were simply pilgrims who had come along with Jesus. And there were pilgrims who were there to celebrate the Passover. And they were getting ready for that. And they had come to Jerusalem because of their devotion to God. Some had come from Galilee in the north and they had heard and seen Jesus before. 
And others came with Jesus from Bethany where they had witnessed this miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And they came together, coming from Bethany, just two miles away over the Mount of Olives toward Jerusalem. And as they came, the people saw Jesus. And they took up palm branches. And they began to wave them in the air. And those palm branches were a symbol of victory. They were uh, something that you would use to hail a king. And they went out to meet Jesus. And they shouted their praises to God. Praises that quoted the Psalms like Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26 that say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Hosanna, Lord, save us. They were shouting their hopes and their praises to God. Lord, save us now. May this be the time when You are going to work this change in our world and in our nation. Blessed is the One who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, if you are thinking of things to read this week and preparing your own heart to celebrate Easter Sunday next week, Psalm 118 is a very good text to read because it speaks so much about Jesus Christ and His ministry. And I'd encourage you to just simply take a look at that psalm and see if you can identify the different points that all relate to what He has done. Jesus came in fulfillment of Scripture. Verse 15 is also a quote. And it comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. A passage that talked about the time when Zion's king would come, would return to Jerusalem. Zechariah 9 9 said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The crowds didn't understand all that Jesus was doing that day. The disciples themselves didn't understand all of it, but Jesus was being very intentional as He rode into Jerusalem that Sunday on a donkey. Not a war horse. Not as a king coming in battle. That will come later in the book of Revelation when Jesus comes and written on Him is the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And He will come with the whole host of heaven. But on this day, He chose to come in humility. And the donkey was a symbol of humility and peace. As He rode into Jerusalem that morning, He was coming as the Prince of Peace to make peace with God. All of it is prearranged. Luke's Gospel tells us that Jesus was very specific in the instructions He gave to the disciples on where to prepare things for the Passover, on where to find this donkey, and if the owner said, you know, what are you doing? Tell him that the Master has need of it, and He will let it go. And again, John says in verse 16 that we didn't understand all of these things. It was only after Jesus was glorified that we realized that these things had been written about Him and that they had done these things to Him. But not all were pleased, were they? We also see the note in verses 17-19 to that the Pharisees 
are looking out on this scene. And if you, uh, you know, can picture in your mind what this looks like, uh, the Pharisees are probably standing on the Temple Mount, which overlooks Jerusalem, and to the east it overlooks the Kidron Valley, and the Mount of Olives is there to the east, about a quarter of a mile away. And they can see these pilgrims going out and coming with Jesus, and they can hear the praises and the, the shouting and the joy that's in their heart. And they're looking out on this scene. And what's their response? They say to one another, look how the whole world has gone after Him. You see how this is getting us nowhere. And they had determined in their hearts that Jesus must die. What was God doing here? Why did He choose to have Jesus come in this way? In this manner, if you will. In the book, Disappointment with God, Philip Yancey pictures this in a very interesting way. He describes the dilemma that God was in as this, that God had loved Israel, but His relationship with His people was like that of a jilted lover. God loved them, but they did not love Him in return, and they had left Him. And God sent the prophets, one after another. He sent Isaiah. And through Isaiah, God said, I long to be gracious to you. You are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you as my bride. Yet you have been false to me, and you have gone away after other lovers. Through Jeremiah, God said, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you love me. What fault did you find in me that you strayed so far? Why do you hate me so much? And through Malachi the prophet, God had said, Return to me and I will return to you. And yet you have said harsh things about me. You have said there's no payoff in this relationship. It is not worth following God. And they had turned their back upon Him. What was God to do? How would He win His people? And then an idea came to God. Kierkegaard described it with an illustration like this. He said, suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. And this king was like no other king. Every statesman trembled before his power. No one dared to breathe a word against him because he could crush them if he chose to. And yet this mighty king was moved by his love for a humble maiden. How could he declare his love for her? His kingliness was actually a problem. If he came in all of his might and power and simply took her to be with him, how could she resist him? She wouldn't. But would she love him? Or would she always be thinking of another? Or hide in her heart a private grief for something that she had left behind? If he came in all of his royal splendor with his carriage to that to her cottage in the forest, would she refuse him? No. But he did not want a cringing subject. He wanted a lover, someone who would love him in return. And so he came humbly to that maiden. When I think about Jesus, if Jesus had come into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday in all of His glorious splendor, with all of the host of heaven behind Him, who would have dared to resist Him? No one. 
No one would have dared to oppose Him, but would they love Him? Or would they serve Him simply out of fear? Jesus chose instead to show His love for us by coming and taking upon Himself our likeness. He humbled Himself, became obedient, even unto death, that He might show how great His love for us. Because He wanted us to love Him in return. Jesus came as a loving and gracious King. And we see that in this next section in verses 20 to 36. The full extent of His love would be shown at the cross. How much does He love us? Just simply look at the cross and see how much He loved us when He was willing to die in our place. John tells us that there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the Feast of Passover. He doesn't tell us where they came from. They might have come from the Decapolis. They might have come from the ten Greek cities that were primarily east of the Jordan River. Or they might have come from the west, from Greece itself. We don't know, and that's not really what matters here. The important part is that they were there and their coming foreshadows Jesus' mission. That Jesus is a King for all the nations. He will die not just for the people of Israel but He will die so that all people might come to know Him, Jew and Greek alike. And Jesus will willingly lay down His life. And we see that in this passage. In verses 23 and 24, He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And He uses this illustration. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He would lay down his life just like the planting of a kernel of seed in the ground will produce many more seeds, much fruit. So Jesus' death on the cross will bear fruit for all of eternity. And he chooses to do this. In verse 27, we see that his heart is troubled, though. How could it not be troubled? But it's not just the pain of physical death that is on his mind. Far more than that, it is the knowledge that he will bear the wrath of God for our sins. That he will suffer the wrath of God that was the punishment for our sins. And Jesus, this one who had no sin, will become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus will go to the cross because of His love for the Father and His love for us. And as He shares these words with the crowd, there's this voice that thunders in the heavens. This is the third time that now the Father has spoken. He spoke at Jesus' baptism when He says, This is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. His voice spoke again when Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, and the disciples saw His glory shine through for a time, and they heard the Father's voice again. This is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And now again a third time, prior to the cross, God the Father speaks concerning His Son. And Jesus said this voice was for your benefit, not mine. 
It was there as another witness to the work that Jesus was about to do. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Now the decisive victory is going to be won on the cross. And Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to Myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which He was going to die. He would die by crucifixion. He would be lifted up from the earth. But there's a double meaning here as well. Because there's also, I believe, a reference to His resurrection. That when Jesus is lifted up and brought and restored to life in the resurrection, He will draw all men to Himself. It would look like defeat, but it would be the most powerful victory that the world has ever seen. Jesus would rise again. That's why Jesus said in verse 25 that the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He's shown us the way to live. Jesus would lay down His life so that others might live. And He calls us to follow in His example, to be willing to lay down our life and surrender to Jesus Christ so that we might know real life. George Mueller was known as a man of God and a man of prayer. In his lifetime, he recorded thousands of prayers that were answered in his journals. Prayers that were made on behalf of the orphans that he took care of in the orphanages and time and time again when he needed God to supply because he had no means to provide for these children and God did that. And many other prayers for the salvation of individuals that he prayed for or for God's provision in the other ministries in which he was involved. And someone once asked him, George, what has been the secret of your life? What do you attribute all of this to? And Mueller hung his head and he said, There was a day when I died. There was a day when I died. And then he bent lower and he said, I died to George Mueller. I died to his opinions, his preferences, his tastes, and his will. I died to the world and its approval or censure. I died to the approval or blame even of brethren or friends. And I chose to live for Jesus Christ. That was his conversion. That was his testimony. That there was that day when he understood what Jesus Christ had done for him and he chose to die to self so that he might live for Jesus Christ. And he surrendered his life to Him. Now when Jesus says that the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life, he doesn't mean hate there in the sense uh, that we might understand it literally. It doesn't mean despise yourself in that literal sense. It is a metaphor. For there are other places in Scripture when Jesus commands us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and that's a good thing. The word hate here is a figure of speech, and it is a strong word meant to get our attention. He tells us that the person who chooses to live in this life just simply for himself will in the end lose everything. But the person 
who chooses to die to self and surrenders his life to Jesus Christ will live forever and will find great gain. Jesus says, whoever serves me must follow me, and my Father will honor the one who serves me. He will honor those who honor him. The Christian life is full of paradoxes, isn't it? God's power is made perfect in what? Our weakness. If we want to be first in God's kingdom, we've got to be willing to be the last. If you want to be great, you need to learn to be a servant. If we want to be rich, we must be poor in spirit. And again, rich isn't talking about wealth there, but talking about God's favor and God's blessing. If we want to be exalted, we must humble ourselves. If we want to live, we must die. Die to self and die to our uh, self-centered desires and goals and ambitions and choose to live for Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20 that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Jesus is the King who died for you and for me. That's what this was all about on Palm Sunday when He came into Jerusalem. He understood His mission. He knew why He had come. He was on the road to the cross. And He would complete that mission and shed His blood for our sins. How do we respond to a king like that? What kind of gift can we give him? The greatest gift of all is to give him our heart, to give him our life, to give him our all. Jesus said, walk in the light while you have the light and put your trust in the light so that you may become sons of the light. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank You for this word of encouragement and word of challenge. And I pray for those who are here today. If you're here this morning and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, and you're, you know you've been living for self and living apart from Him, and you want to know that your sins are forgiven, come to Christ today. Put your trust in Him. Ask Him to forgive your sins, to be your Savior and Lord. And He will take you at your word and He will come into your life and forgive you of your sins. And Jesus, for those of us that have known you, I look back on that day when you called me into a relationship with you and I thank you for what you have done. And life has never been the same since. It's been a great adventure and a great journey. Father, I pray for all of us who know you that we would choose every day to lift you up in our heart and in our words and our praise and our life and crown you the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We ask it in your name. Amen.